And uh, because he is not uh, responsible for the preaching duties all the week, he preaches sometimes, but, uh, but they share the preaching, uh, he was available to fill in uh, this week, so I didn't have to write a sermon while we were on the cruise, uh, which I appreciate. Thank you. You bet. Um, but I, for those of you who have been here for a long time, you know I'm, I'm exceedingly protective of the pulpit that God has entrusted to me. And this congregation, this family, is a responsibility. And I don't let people come up here and speak to you that I don't know for sure are going to give you the word of God as God wrote it. So uh, as Rob comes today, he's going to speak to you. I'm going to let him do most of his talking, but I just wanted to introduce him to you uh, with my wholehearted endorsement and thank him for coming up. Thank you. Bet. You, so, you bet. Thank uh, you. Before he does this, let me just pray for him. We're yeah. going to do a lot of praying today. So let me pray for him. Father, uh, thank you for being here in the midst of us. You've promised us this, and yet uh, we need to invite you in our own hearts. We need to know that, that we are trusting you, that we are, that we are welcoming you. And so, Lord, right now, strip away from us anything that might interfere with being able to hear and receive your word for us. We want you and only you. We want your word and not human opinion. So, Father, as Rob shares today and as we dive into your word together, may you receive all the glory mm -hmm. and honor and praise Amen. in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I, love, I love this book. and. Um, I love being here with you. I've never been able to be at uh, real life. My daughter is with uh, Dance Arts, and so she's danced with Emma and been here. So it's kind of a privilege. As pastors, we don't get to go check out other churches. And so to see you guys, to, to join in you right now, our church is, is worshiping. And, and we share uh, across the globe uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, worshiping the same Lord, studying the Bible. And um, it, is, it is such a privilege. And uh, thanks, Rich, and uh, worship team. Um, uh, you know, I've been here a little bit over the six years. I came from Minnesota, so I see this Viking sh uh, sweatshirt here, and I'm excited. I don't know if, you, if that's yours, or, uh, it, uh, but it, it excites me. Um, I, I, my wife's actually the, the Vikings fan. Um, I'm not as, in, as much into sports, but uh, for you, for you uh, um, Chicago Bear fans, we have sympathy because that happens to us all the time. <laughs> the kicker thing, that happens all the time. Um, my free time, I love to read, uh, run, and, uh, and coach my kids. Uh, my wife and I have six kids, uh, 14 and under, so we are very busy. And um, we, we, love, uh, you know, we love Minnesota. We love being here. Uh, you guys, it's a fruit basket, you know, so we love getting the fruit and, um, and the lake. You know, we have 10,000 lakes in Minnesota. Michigan, I hear, has actually more. My kids told me when they went to, went to school. Uh, but I think Lake Michigan's the best. Uh, so if you haven't, I mean, if you haven't enjoyed that, you gotta enjoy it. It's so great. My favorite thing about Southwest Michigan, though, is the people. Um, I love the people here, and one of my uh, favorite people is is Rich. So just kind of returning the favor, um, Rich and I, we get we get to share a number of things. Both of us went to Wheaton, uh, but uh, I went a little longer. Uh, one of the things I, I love about Rich, we've been part of this River Valley Ministerial Association. So the pastors in the area get together, and we meet monthly. Uh, he's the president, I'm the vice president. And um, in politics, the president is the face, the voice, and the vice president does all the work. Well, in the River Valley Ministerial Association, uh, he does all the work, and is the voice, and is the face, and I just get to enjoy being with him. Uh, one of the, my favorite things, though, that we've been doing is this thing called Fellowship of the Word. And so twice a year we'll go and we'll take a couple days, and we'll just study a book of the Bible. We study intensely. There's pre-work. Uh, we actually got one coming up in March, and I just looked at it this morning, and there's a lot of reading we have to do. We have to read Mark like three times and then do, answer all these questions, and then we're doing presentations. But the fellowship is so sweet. This, it's so sweet. And um, I know you guys have a, a meeting after this, and I just commend going to this meeting. As a pastor, it's so encouraging when you're here. When people aren't here, it's like, where are they? We, we have so much fun when we're together, and it's so, such a blessing. And, and uh, you know, pastors have a really hard job, and so I just want to commend Rich to you to, uh, to be grateful and thankful for him. He is a, he's really a hero. He's not doing this for the money. Uh, he works another job, you know. Um, he, loves, he loves this book. He loves Jesus. 
He loves Three Oaks. He loves this community, and he loves you. And he's telling me he's been doing it for 15 years. Um, I, I looked at some of the statistics. You know, you have churches closing. Um, we know that. Uh, some of you guys know that from being around the area. And you have pastors leaving the ministry. 50% um, of pastors don't make it after five years. He's been doing it for 15 um, he's quite a man, and uh, he's been you know, faithfully serving you guys. And one of the cool things is he's humble. Uh, so he's not gonna, he's gonna toot his horn out here. Uh, he'll, he'll, okay. <laughs> so you know, he 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 is regularly telling us, you know, that he is dependent on the Lord, and he, he's not perfect. And I appreciate it about you, and um, and behind every guy, you know, if you've heard of this, behind every guy is a great woman. So Shelly, I. I don't know you that well, but I imagine that part of how great Rich is is because of how great you are. And uh, let's just give a round of applause for, for Rich and Shelly. I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do in real life. Um, the Lord has done some neat things in the last year uh, with the, the building and, um, and what God's going to do into 2019. So with that, again, Rich said we're going to pray a lot. So I want to pray again before I get into the word. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Rich and Shelley. Um, none of us are perfect. All of us are dependent on your grace and mercy. Your kindness has sustained us and equipped us and called this brother and his bride to be here as a light. Um, you are great and glorious and majestic and worthy of honor and praise and worship and thanksgiving. I pray that the text today would shape our minds and spring to life in our hearts and warm our cold souls, open and sto our stopped ears and inspire us, motivate us, challenge us, equip us, fill us. In spite of my words and my understanding, use your word to inspire our hearts for your glory and great name. Amen. So let me encourage you um, to go to your, your Bible. If you don't, um, there may be some more over in the corner, or you can use an electronic Bible. I also have the words projected uh, behind me. Uh, we'll be in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And um, I asked Rich to provide some readers. He says he's got three readers, so we're going to listen to God's word. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter, and then three of the verses in chapter 2. So if the readers want to come up here, we've got one. And are you going to mic them, or you going to mic them? Or just going to read out loud? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And then there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let us separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and the God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and the fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, 
the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have the dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. <coughs> and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every other living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has a breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God and God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the, his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Awesome. Well, thank you for reading that. Um, I don't have the gift of gab like uh, Rich does. I mean, it's amazing. He'll just go in the meeting. He'll just start sermons at these River Valley Ministry. I mean, it's a, he just, I have to think through what I'm going to say. How am I going to say this? I'm like, that doesn't work. That's offensive. I can't do that. So I'll be sure. I'll be two hours. Just kidding. I'm going to be under an hour. I said, I may be under 40 minutes. I'm, I, when I'm nervous, I talk even faster. Um, <laughs> So let me encourage you to take notes, to follow along, to think through this. Maybe you don't have an ability to take notes this time, but again, I, I think this stuff is so important. Next, next week, bring, bring, uh, bring a pad of paper or jot something down on your phone. Um, so I've got three big ideas here I want to go through. The structure, the structure of the passage, the purpose of the passage. So God has an intention for these words, and then the point for us today. So we're going to look at the structure, purpose, and the point for us today. When you're reading your Bible, you want to know what the structure is. Um, when you want to know what the structure is, I think, I think we need to look for clues. Clues are kind of like a trail of clum, crumbs left behind. Uh, my kids, you know, when they're younger, you'll find uh, like crackers and chips and like cookies and, and little things of food in different places. And I know where they were. As they've gotten older, it's like plates and cups and uh, like articles of clothing, socks. You know, and I think I, I have a one teenager, but no drivers. And I think as they, they, they start driving my vehicles, I'll find like uh, fast food wrappers and places where they, where they ate. And I'll kind of know where they've been. Well, so what, where is God going with this? What's his intention? Well, one of the clues that he's put in this text, in this, this passage of scripture, is repetition. Pattern helps us understand the structure. So what's repeated here? What's repeated in Genesis 1? There's a number of different things that are repeated. Uh, verse 5, if you look at verse 5, and I use the ESV, so it may sound a little different. This is a different there's a, so many different translations. This, this is one I, I use. So it's, mine says, And there was evening and there was morning the first day. 
The days are repeated. Um, so one of the, the pr purposes of this text, um, and, and the structure is organi organized around days. There's seven days of creation. Each day begins like this. It's saying it was morning and evening the first day, and then the second day, and then the third day, and then the fourth day, and then the fifth day, and then the sixth day, and seven days. And we have seven days a week. When I was in college, um, I learned something about this chapter I've never seen before. Um, Genesis 1 is a poem. And it's not like roses are red and violets are blue. It doesn't rhyme like a poem we would think of, like well, Robert Frost or some, some poet. It's not flowing like a, a rap. Hebrew poetry is a little different. Uh, there's a variety of different ways they do their poetry. There's no punctuation in the Hebrew language. And so they use a poetry of parallelism. So the, the, the ideas will run parallel each other, or they'll run counter each other, and they'll contradict each other or contrast each other. Why do they do this? They do this to help us get the purpose and the point. They help us understand the, the structure. It helps us remember this. They remember, they don't have the internet. They don't have books. They have these scrolls. People aren't literate, so they'll read it out loud, just like we read it. And they'll read it out loud, and they'll, they'll, they'll see these word pictures and paintings, and it will come to life for their children. So they, they understand something. They want them to remember this. And they memorized this, and they meditated on it, and they repeated it, and heard it again and again and again um, for a reason. If we look at these, this parallel of these days, we can see this poem. Um, look at the, the first day. What does he do in the first day? And I have a slide right there. It's the first day he makes light. The second day, what does he do in the second day? Verses 9 through 13, or 6 through 8, he, makes, he separates the water from the sky. And the third day, he, he makes the earth and, and puts plants on it. And you see that in, in the, the next set of days, day four, five, and six, they parallel each other. So where he creates light in that first day, the fourth day, he's creating the sun, the moon, and the stars. And the second day, he creates water and sky. And, the, and the, the, the fifth day, he's filling the sky with birds and filling the sea with, with fish. And the third day, he creates the earth and the plants. And the sixth day, he creates animals and us humans. And so you see this poem here, these parallel ideas. Now, you might see this poem here, and you might be uncomfortable with this. Uh, maybe a few of you are just uncomfortable with talking about this. It is poetic. Um, you know, I can get uncomfortable with some of those things, too. Maybe you associate poetry with fiction or fantasy or fables. But being poetry doesn't mean it's not true or not historical or not scientific. I think we get hung up on, on um, this literary feature here. One commentator said this, There can scarcely be another part of Scripture over which so many battles, theological, scientific, historical, and literary, have been fought, or so many strong opinions cherished. This very fact is a sign of greatness and power of the book of Genesis and the narrow limits of our, both our factual knowledge and our spiritual grasp. So I wasn't there back then. But this is what we have. And so how do we interpret this? What's the purpose and what's the point? Did God create six days or six time periods? Maybe you've heard this debate and people get hung up on this. Um, I know good Christians. I know good Christians who line up on different parts of that. And, and maybe you do. Um, personally, I, if God can change water... Wash water. This is the first miracle Jesus did. He can change 150 gallons of wash water to wine, to the finest wine. I think he can create in a six-day period. It's no problem for an author of history to write it out that way. Now, so being a poem doesn't mean it's false. But it should change the way we read it. This isn't a scientific textbook, textbook or a simple timeline. He's communicating something that's very critical for us today. There's a point, and it's not about the birds and the bees. What is he saying? What's the, what's the purpose of the text? And, and, and I think we see that through the structure and the repetition. And why does he write it this way? What's the point? Well, I think he wants us to understand something. Something that's memorable. Something that we can take home with us. And um, so let's get to the, the, the purpose. I think part of it is understanding those, those days. Um, and I think another part is, is repeated again and again and again. And we'll see this in a number of verses. Verse 3, for example. Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be. This passive creative force is repeated a lot. You see that? Verses 6, 
Uh, verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 15, verse 20, 22, 24, 26. God is a speaking God. He speaks the world in the, into existence. God said. I love how in the New Testament, that the, the, the follower of Jesus named John, he picks up on this and he, and he begins his biography of Jesus in this very similar way. In John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning, so Genesis 1 begins, In the beginning. John begins, In the beginning. This is how John takes it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who's this Word? Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see throughout John this light and dark theme. And he's beginning, reminding us that the beginning of creation was a beginning with God. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are active. The Spirit hovers over the face of the deep. You remember in, in Genesis 1, we read that. The Father speaks, and the Word and the Spirit, the, the Word um, fills people. The Word creates, and the Spirit fills with people with the breath of life. The, point of this, the purpose of this passage is that God is the Creator. We don't live on this rock called earth by chance. Um, now, some argue that it's arrogant. And maybe you've heard, have you heard this? It's arrogant to think that, that God cares about us. Have you heard that? That our belief is actually real, that it's true. And that the universe, um, it, why would God be so care, concerned about us? Is it just arrogance? The universe, that the universe is about us is arrogant? So my contention to someone who would argue that way is that that's, that's, that's a twist of the Bible's claim. You see, the Bible's not claiming that it's about us, right? It's about God. That first chapter, who shows up the most? It's God, God creating, God creating, God creating, God creating, God creating. It's first and foremost about Him. And the naysayers, I think, are really actually arrogantly creating their own hypothesis, their novel hypothesis, and asserting that, that they have a monopoly on truth now in the 21st century. The Bible cuts out the guesswork and has revealed to us the author of life in the pages. God is not just some creative being who began a clock and let it start ticking and disappeared. He's not the, the created being who is created by another created being who's created by another created being who's created by another created being. No, he's the uncreated creator. He always existed. He's the great I am. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Before anything was, he was. He creates what you see and what you hear and what you feel and what you smell and what you taste. He's, he's created everything and sustains it, the Bible says, by the word of his power. No scientist, no president, no CEO can do that or ever, ever be able to do that. God speaks and lets and the world is. And that's how great he is. He can just like speak and it is. God is the main point of all the days of creation. And the Bible begins with the most important truth. God. God is the center of everything. He is the creator of all. Too often I think we put ourselves at the center of the universe. Uh, we are consumed with self. <coughs> Selfish, self-absorbed, self-centered, arrogant, vain, prideful. And maybe you aren't that way. But I, I certainly am. I was struggling with that last night. Um, and so we see in the seven days of creation, the purpose of this is, one, to show us that there are seven days, and those days are overseen by our Creator God. Something else is repeated here. What else is repeated in this? In Genesis. Yeah. What did you say? It was good. Right. It was good in verse 4. And verse 10, and verse 12, and verse 18, and 21, and 25, and 31. Do you see that? Chapter 1 ends with a proclamation of God's approval. The created matter, the planets and stars and plants and animals, the humans were made good. In fact, he actually says something different about people. What did he say? Very good. Matter was not made evil nor morally neutral, but qualitatively good. 
Now, some would have this think that the only thing that really matters is the spiritual, this abstract supernatural. And maybe that's because we don't experience life that way, do we? Is life always good for you? No. We experience evil and disappointment and frustration and pain and heartache and hurt. That's, where's this evil? Well, the first chapter doesn't go there. You have to keep reading. You know, the Bible is going to tell us, and it's in chapter 3. Rich already referred to it. It's called the fall. Where we see evil and sin and corruption. We learn from this chapter, however, that that's not God's original intention. He began with things that were good. We begin with himself in seven days and good, the goodness of creation. The fourth purpose I, th- I found here in this passage is our origin. I don't know if you guys uh, watch movies. I have to admit I don't watch a lot of movies, but I do love the DC and Marvel comic stuff, right? Like the origin stories of Wolverine, Spider-Man, Batman. That stuff is, is fun for me. Um, not so much my wife. Um, Genesis 1 is our origin story. This is, Genesis is about our origins and it, it beginnings, and it tells us who we are and answers some of our deepest identity, identity issues and points to our, actually, our cultural climate today. Um, and it gets to the point. So Rich already kind of preempted this and shared a little bit about why I'm talking about uh, the image um, today about sanctity of life. So I, he was te- we were talking about this, and he texted me this right here. Here's a glimpse of the direction I'm thinking. Whole life sanctity, race and gender, and pro-life issues. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. See you tomorrow, Amigo. <laughs> and it's kind of a, a big, you know, here's the hot topics. Talk to us about sexuality, gender, pro-life stuff, race, you know, in, in 40 minutes. <laughs> or like an hour, you know. Um, I'm like, where am I going to go with that? Because we were actually talking about going somewhere else with this. And, and I thought, you know what, Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is that passage, is that, that crucible passage that helps, um, helps us understand uh, those issues. It, it's a watershed issue, it, a watershed text. It's so helpful. Um, and I don't think Rich, when, he's, when he's, he was saying this, was just trying to dodge the hard things. I know Rich. He says the hard things. He just knows the timing of it. Today is the Sanctity Life Sunday. So how many ever years ago, 1973, the Supreme Court, you know, uh, Roe v. Wade, you may have heard of it, right? They said the first two trimesters, uh, we can have abortion. It's legal to have an abortion. It's okay to have an abortion in the first uh, two trimesters. They divide the pregnancy into three sections. The third trimester is when the baby's considered viable. So if the, if the health of the, the woman's in jeopardy, she can have abortion then too. That's how they saw it. And since that time, we've had 60 million abortions in America. There's been more abortion, more death, promoted by our government than Hitler or Stalin or Mao Zedong. I mean, these horrible dictators. You know, we we totally would not support what they did. And yet we're okay with this. And that's that's not right. Now I want to be sensitive. Uh, So I I shared a message, and and Rich listened to it last year, on the subject from a different text. And uh, I know someone was uh, really disturbed. Because within the Christian community, there's some who've had abortions. There's some who've supported abortions financially. There's some who've, who've pre- performed abortions. There's some who, who've encouraged it and educated it. And they carry with them a lot of pain. And so I don't want to heap guilt. That's not my, my intent. Um, and I don't think that's good. I don't think that's what the, the Bible has for us, to heap shame and guilt on someone for a decision they've made. Um, it's not my job. I think largely the blame and shame should go on our, our, our nation as a whole for allowing this and for educating that, that this is just a, a, some tissue. Um, I think as a church, we do need to address this. But that fa- how great the Father's love for us, that song we sang, I think points us back to not only does God care about the unborn baby, but he cares about those who, who sinned in such a way. That he's so great and so glorious and so kind that he came to be one of us for a purpose. Not just to, to give us a moral example or to show us how powerful he is or to teach us some really good truths to kind of put in a, uh, a book to sell you know, on a special holiday. No, he, he came to live and die and rise to, to forgive us our sins. And so if we carry this cross, of, uh, this burden of, of guilt and shame, we have a hope in a Redeemer who is able to forgive us and forgive, forgive anything.
Um, and so, so I would point us in that direction, but I don't think we can avoid this issue. Um, the, the court decided a case, and it's not done. The issue is still on our conscience as a nation, and we need to talk about it. We need to vote in, in a way that would promote life and would uh, change things. I think we need to offer alternatives for young women who are looking at a, a very bleak future if they continue on with their pregnancy. Um, so there are pregnancy care centers that look at the whole life. How can we help uh, alleviate poverty in America? How can we help someone that's stuck in a really bad situation and find some answers? I think we need to educate, counter-educate, and pray. Ultimately, I think we need to pray, because this is the kind of thing where I can't change it. You probably can't change it, but we can pray. God can. Now, that's not the only thing he said. Let's, let's uh, think about Let's talk about race. Why would we want to talk about race today? Well, we're made into God's image, but uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. A recent survey in, I think it was um, U.S. News and World Report or uh, USA Today, said 64% of Americans think race is a big issue. Race is a big issue still in America. Um, every life, blah, blah, was all about life. Every life, black lives matter. White lives matter. Asian lives matter. Unborn lives matter. They matter to God. Black lives matter. Yet, if we're honest... They haven't always mattered in America. I think Bering Springs used to be a part of the Underground Railroad. Um, in America, at the height of slavery, four million, over four million slaves were, were in possession of people uh, in 1860. That means there were men and women sold on the block, separated from moms and dads and brothers and sisters and children. They're beat and lynched. They're forced to do things that they thought were wrong. They were controlled and viewed as subhuman. The burgeoning economy of our world was built on the backs of blood, sweat, and tears of a people with dark skin. How do we respond to that? You say, well, that, that was then. It's a different time now. It doesn't matter. Well, you know what? I've, I've read a book about not so recent ago, St. Joe and Benton Harbor. There's been racism. I met with a guy this, uh, this year, uh, construction. He works in the construction field. And, and people are trying to bite their tongue because they're going to say these words. He's a dark, darker skin, and, and they don't want to offend him, but they, they have these words in their minds that are just offensive and not appropriate. Mischaracterizations or, or slanderous things that people just say about each other. How do we deal with the lingering racism and residual hatred and suspicion and the bitterness in our day? We've got to go back to Genesis, I think. Genesis helps us with pro-life issues. It helps us with, the, with, with race issues. But those aren't the only things he mentioned. He mentioned gender. What are we talking about there? The gender issues. So maybe you heard of our, our new governor, um, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. She signed this non-discrimination. She's had a bunch of executive orders um, in the last few weeks um, when she took office. Five executive orders. One of them was about discrimination, dealing with of all kinds of issues, including sexuality and gender identity issues. Um, our previous governor, Governor Snyder, signed a similar directive, but he made an exemption for religious groups. And we don't know exactly, I read it, it's actually really complicated uh, language, um, but uh, this three or four page directive, you know, some of the concerns are you have a school, a, a church partnering with the school with a Head Start program or a church school or a feeding program. Um, are, are, what, are, what, are the, what are the liberties for the church in hiring? And, and signage for bathrooms and locker room policies. Things are changing in America. And we want to talk about gender issues. And I'm, I'm not in favor of discrimination or bigotry. But sometimes I think there are people who will label someone as a bigot in order, or phobic or intolerant to put people uh, in a place where they, they can't say anything. They are gagged and silenced. And honest intellectual debate isn't allowed. Um, we live in a society, if you haven't noticed, that promotes sexual liberty over and against religious liberty, and more and more so. Uh, I think sane people want, I think most sane people, you know, on any side of the political spectrum want um, justice, right? We want justice. I think it's fair. We want liberty. I think we want some freedom. Uh, but how do we determine what's right and wrong and true and good? I think we tend to go back to the Constitution, right? We go to the Constitution. But the framers of the Constitution, they didn't foresee what we experience today. How do the bylaws of a nation protect us with that limitation? How does, 
how do we deal with that? Do we trust the majority to reinterpret a new law? I mean, the majority have made mistakes, right? You talk about slavery. We, the majority were in favor of that at one point. Ultimately, the Constitution is not perfect. It was built on a Judeo-Christian Western understanding of what's best, right, and just, and good, and true. And we, who call ourselves brothers and sisters in the Lord, are actually citizens of another place. We're citizens of heaven, a heavenly culture, heavenly country, and have a superior constitution. And that constitution is our Bible. It goes back to Genesis 1, which has a structure, and has a purpose, and has a point as it relates to these issues today. So God speaks, and he speaks, and we are to listen. So let me encourage you, listen up, listen up. Pay attention to what God has to say, and focus on his word. And if you, don't, if you doubt what I'm saying, read the book. And, and I may be wrong, but if the book is saying it, let's let believe it. Let's believe it. Genesis 1 tells us that God made us, and God is the uncaused cause, the creator of everything, meaning he's the meaning maker and sustainer, and he personally made us. If you look at how does he make us in, in verse 26 and 27, he's saying, before that, he's saying, you know, let the earth do this, let the sky do this, let the sea do this. You know, he's, it's all this, here in 20. 6 and 27, it's let us make man. Let us, it's a let us make event where he, the Trinity, is foreseen here. He personally breathes life into us and makes us in his image. No, and, and you brought this up, Rich. No star or mammal or shrub has been made in God's likeness. No primate was made in God's likeness. Look at verse 26 and 27 with me. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To be made in the image of God is to be made male and female. So maleness and femaleness is part of the created order. It's actually really good. Gender is a good thing. It's an intended thing. It's a valuable thing. So God's really pro-female. And he's, and he's pro-male at the exact same time. We, we see this throughout the scriptures. He builds gender into creation. So there's male and female animals, right? There's, there's pairs. Um, and, and, and we as a, a, a culture in manufacturing, if you work in manufacturing, there are male and female parts. So we, we, we imitate this. And if you go to the store and... You go look at clothing. There's the, males, the men's section, the women's section. Um, in schools and in other buildings, there's men's, women's rooms and women's restrooms. Intuitively, I think we see there's a difference. There's a difference here. And God built that into us. There's, he built that. Gender's good and not a result of the corruption of creation. And he repeats this. So anytime in Scripture, you know, it's something that's like important, it will be repeated. So at chapter 5, verse 1, jump to chapter 5, verse 1, if you can do that. This, the same kind of image is going to come up again. The word for image and likeness are two different Hebrew words. They mean the same sort of thing. Chapter 5, verse 1, what does it say? This is the book of generations of Adam. So Genesis is about generations. Here we're talking about Adam. Adam is the first man. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. <coughs> likeness and image. Same sort of thing. The image of God. Male and female, he created them. God created them. He blessed them and named them man and man when they were created. Gender is important. Genesis 5 repeats that God is the creator and mankind was made in his image, male and female. Now, I mean, it's a question, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? How does gender reflect God's identity? Well, I think we have different roles and nuances, and there's a diversity that we see within the Godhead. We are thinking, feeling, moral beings. God thinks and acts and feels. Now you might say, well, don't animals, don't animals think, feel, and, and act? They do. They, animals squawk and squeal and bark and chirp. Speaking isn't unique. Well, we well what about uh, creating? We create. Well, animals, they seem to do some creating. And some animals seem to have memory, right? You could train a monkey some tricks. Some animals uh, will train their young to fly or find food or to survive. 
Um, God gives us a call to fill the earth, but he gave the call to the animals to fill the earth too. So we're all created by this creator, and there's a similarity here, but what's the difference? We alone are assigned the task in 28 through 30 to subdue the earth. God has given us dominion over the animals. The naming of the animals was part of Adam's, uh, one of his original jobs. The earth, as, fa- is, as found in, in Genesis chapter 1, demonstrates that we are the ones that have a dominion. Being made in the image of God connects to our, our doing. You know, there, there's this thing, human beings, we're, we're being, we're created beings, but, but doing's okay too. And we're made to work, and we're made to do, we're made to act. We are thinkers, feelers, relators, inventors, creators, and lovers. We're categorically different from all plants, animals, and inanimate objects. We are not the random result of millions of years of steps and leaps. We are made in His image. We are made by design, God's design. And this, this, again, this, this idea of being made in his image is repeated. We see this again in the New Testament. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 11. Chapter 11, he brings this up again, and it's a very con- confusing argument. Very confusing. But he gets back to the differences between men and women and how they're good. In his case, in his culture, women wore head coverings. So you may know some cultures in America still kind of hold to that. Uh, and men were to keep their hair short. And I think his big idea, Paul's big idea there, is that there there are general distinctions we have between guys and girls, men and women, boys and girls. And so let's keep them. Let's not blur the lines, unlike our culture is increasingly doing. I think it's healthy for us to promote manliness. We need to have a, a manly Christianity, a strong Christianity. We also need to promote femininity. We need to... We need to say it's okay to be a woman and it's good to be a woman. And here, here's a godly expression of what a woman is. I think there's a healthy way to go about this and an unhealthy way. The Bible is not about sexism or misogyny or oppression. Now, <coughs> sorry, uh, some of these role distinctions, there's these role, general role distinctions. Gen- Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 is one that people will say, well, what about, what about Galatians chapter 3, 28? So if you have an ability to go there, look at that. I think this is important. It relates to gender. Galatians chapter 3, 28. Paul's speaking, speaking to the church in Galatia. It says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I think that using this passage to say that there really is no difference is misusing the text. It's taking it out of context. I don't think he's saying there isn't a male or female. He's not saying there's no biological difference. What is his point? Is this a a, a desire for us to pursue gender fluidity? Or redefine? We can redefine our gender based on whatever we want? I don't think that's Paul's intent here. Let's look closely at this verse here. You keep it up there. Okay, look at that. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There is a unity within Jesus. We are are all made in God's image. The oneness is what he's talking about. Not in biology or political affiliation or nationality. We are made in God's image, male and female. This speaks, and as you can see that, it speaks not only just to the men and women issue, but also to the race issue, doesn't it? Uh, the color of her skin, it, it may be real, right? I, I can go through some kind of surgery to change some certain things, but ultimately what this is saying is we are one in Jesus. That's what this is about. It's not about changing things. There's a diversity in God's creativity, and that's intentional. We possess, you possess the beauty mark of, of God. And I think some people don't see that. Too often history of the Bible has been misused. The use of the, history, the use of the Bible in history has been misused to promote oppression and slavery. And it's not okay. Sex trafficking and slave trading, for example, just two things that would deal with these issues were sins in the Bible. They're actually sins in the Bible. And they're not okay back then, and they're not okay now. 
The Bible is clear and a liberating force for us and a reason to worship God in the rich differences he built into the genetic fabric of our society. We are not given a pass to change our gender because we feel one way or the other. Gender and sexuality problems in the day are, part, are not part of God's original plan, not part of the original paradise. What happened? Well, Genesis 3 happened. That's what happened. The fall has impacted how we see the world. It has impacted what we want. It's impacted who we are. Chapter 3 of Genesis details the destruction of perfection. So people are attracted to other people in ways that objectify other people or hurt other people. People long for things that are only be had with the context of one man and one woman in marriage. Wanting something, and just because you want something doesn't make it right, right? If you're a parent, you understand that. Just because your kid wants something doesn't mean it's okay. This identity that God has created us in the, man, in the image of Him has been marred, and it remains its stuff, and drives us to my next part of this, the next point of this text is our dignity. There is a dignity within our image. We see this, and we need this in the 21st century as it impacts our, not only our sexuality, and not only our gender, and not only our race, but also impacts our view of all of life. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter 9, and we'll see again this idea of the image of God repeated. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 9. I love the sound of the pages turning. Thank you. Um, and for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. For every beast I will require it, and from man... From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. You see that reasoning? What is the text saying? God is instituting a death penalty for taking life. You murder someone, you die. Why? What's the reasoning? For God made man in his own image. Matter matters. You matter. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Um, this last week, we had a, a premature baby pass away, um, born at 25 weeks. It's amazing what science can do. 25 weeks, there's a viability there. He lived for over four weeks. The funeral is this afternoon in a couple hours. Walker, Walker Sterling, his life hung in the balance. His parents spent untold amounts of money and time, sleepless nights. They prayed vigilantly. Our, our, prayer, our prayer chain was blown up by this. And they loved him. This cute little baby, I saw him. And their, their love was so strong. Why? Why did they love him? Because he was the gift of God. He was made in God's image. He had a beating heart and breathing lungs and little fingers and little toes and a head with little hairs. He was alive. Scientifically, we know at five weeks, the, the baby has a heartbeat of its own. At eight weeks, all the major organs are developed. And here's one. God is, life is amazing. He is the one who gives and takes away. And so he, he took away Walker's life. And that was his choice. Um, in 2017, in Berrien County, we had 163 babies aborted. So that's someone else's choice. And God's sovereign, but that's, that's allowed. And I was wondering, that number seems a little low, right? It seems that's, okay, how many boy babies are born in Berrien County? Well, we had 1,700 babies born. So it's like 10%, right? About 10% of babies. But still, actually, I, I've heard at one point that it's like a third of the babies that are, a third of pregnancies end in abortion in America. So it's, maybe that's, that's, that's still low. But this doesn't account, as we see the numbers, maybe the numbers go down a little bit. It doesn't account for this, this rise in scientific technology called abortifacia drugs. It used to, when we were young, uh, younger, you know, 20 years ago, there was something called RU486. Now they call it the morning after pill, emergency contraception, plan B. Those sound actually really good, right? I mean, they don't sound bad. There's no, it doesn't sound moral, but they are moral. They, they, they inhibit the, the the egg from uh, for an embryo from uh, being on the, on the uterine wall. Or they force, you know, they, they terminate the pregnancy in some way. Whoever sheds the blood of man by his, 
man's shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. People are going to spend millions of dollars to try to have a life. We can't create life. God's the one who creates life. We can do things to encourage it, but people care about this on one end and they don't on another. Atheism, secularism, and communism, they do not promote the intrinsic dignity and value of you, of humanity, of Genesis 1. If we're just, you guys, if we're just descendants of primordial sludge, struck by lightning, this is one of the theories that I grew up in my science class, my biology class, they're like, here's one theory, we're these little proteins, and this meteorite, you know, has brought this, these chemicals here on Earth, and we made these proteins, and the lightning strikes it, and then all of a sudden, life is made. And then over the million years, with these steps and leaps, it transforms from the, from the crawling little thing to like now more of a, a primate to now you. You know, if that's who we are, if that's who we are, hundreds of million years ago, abortion makes sense. When a kid gets in the way of a career, or relationship, or priorities, or fun. We are merely chemicals, and life doesn't matter. Or life matters as much as a pet, or a, a pencil. The fetus doesn't matter, if that's true. If we believe that line of thinking, then, then actually black lives don't matter. The migrant worker doesn't matter. The Me Too movement doesn't matter. All that matters is the survival of the fittest. But Genesis 1 teaches we are more than mere than matter. We matter because God made us in his image. He created us and calls us very good. So what are we to do? How, how do we... Why, we can't change a culture. We can't end abortion or racism or promiscuity and all derivations of evil. What are we to do? So I, I thought, you know, as, as, as I think about this passage, how does this impact our day? How does this impact me as a pastor? What are we to take from this? I thought three different things that might be helpful. First, assess our information. Where are you getting your information? Do you just drink in the culture of TV and YouTube and your Netflix and, and the internet? I mean, is that, is that what, is that what you're just going to breathe in? It's immersed and bathed in a digest that contradicts the Bible often. And so I think we need to make sure where we get our information about who we are, what life's about, and where are the, 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 the guardrails, and, and how do we find a happy, a happy a path, and how do, we, how do we find God? We go to the book. We go to the Bible. Test what people tell you. Know this book. Uh, there's a memory verse. Rich was like, hey, what about this memory verse? Genesis 1.27. I don't know how you do that. Like, I'm trying to help my kids memorize things. I'm trying to memorize things, and it's so hard. Memorize it. It is so helpful. Assess your information. Uh, secondly, watch your communication. Watch your communication. Do you really love your neighbor? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God. The second is what? Love your neighbor. All right? Do you, do you love people who look different than you, who have a different personality than you? a different skin color than you? Watch your communication. Do you love the outsider, the foreigner? There's a lot of us and them language. I think we need to stop tweeting and stop um, blogging or posting comments that are just so critical and slanderous and, and just flippant. We need to be careful what we say and say things that express the love of God, that, that we are made in the image of God, and we need... We need to assess that as a church. We need to think differently on how we communicate and watch our communication and not judge people based on the, the color of skin, the thinness of a pocketbook, the accent or gender. We don't want to look down on people. We are beings made in the image of God. C.S. Lewis uh, in The Weight of Glory. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He's a deep thinker. You read other books by reading him, but he's, he says some really profound things. He's this British guy who's passed away. In 1963, he says this, <clears throat> There are no ordinary people. You never talk to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. So nations, cultures, arts, civilization, those things, they'll be gone. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors and everlasting splendors. 
What is he saying? What is he getting at? Friends, we walk among immortals. We will pass on from this life to judgment, to heaven or hell. We will either enjoy forever the pleasantries of heaven and paradise or live in dread forever in everlasting torment. And we don't know where the neighbor is going. We are to view brothers and sisters and neighbors with a a long-range perspective and treat them with dignity because of God's image and respect one another and love our enemies in word and deed and not be arrogant or rude or slanderous. They are to know we're Christians by our love. Love. We're supposed to love others in word and deed. I think we should not be one who my friend who goes to church every once in a while at my church says that there are people who are saying words that are just racist. We should not be saying racist words. That, that should not, we need to bite our tongues if that is a temptation for you. Finally, maybe you need transformation. So we assess our information. Where, where, where are we getting information? We watch our communication and maybe we need transformation. I think all of us need transformation. But, but I say that because I think some of us may need to repent for the first time. Where the, the Holy Spirit, my job is not to convict of sin, but the Holy Spirit's job is. And the, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart and convict you of these things that some of us carry these, and I'm going to be preaching on this next week, uh, uh, Psalm 51. We carry these burdens of guilt and shame with us from stuff that's just decades old that we would never share with anyone or these thoughts that we have that, are just too shocking, or, or, or words we said that were so painful, we, we, can't, we can't undo them. We can't fix them. What's done is done, and, and we have this baggage, and what do we do with our baggage? We need transformation. You know, whether it's an abortion that we supported, or uh, that racist comment that we made, and we're just like, man, that was so stupid. Why did I say that? I was trying to be funny. It wasn't funny, and I hurt somebody. How do I deal with the darkness of my own heart? And that's where transformation comes in. God has offered himself. You have a wall demonstrating what God has done. We have a wall of the cross over here. He went to the cross to die on the sins on our behalf. And so if you feel this sense of, man, I need to get right here, you don't need to give money to real life to get right with God. You don't need to attend a Sunday service to get right with God. You don't need to volunteer down the street at the food pantry to get right with God. What you need is to say, God, I I sinned. I sinned. I keep sinning. I can't stop from sinning. I need your help. You died on the cross for people like me. Lord, I believe that. Help me. Forgive me. And you know what? 1 John 1.9. I love 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 is a verse. If you're going to memorize a verse, Genesis 1.27, great. 1 John 1.9, memorize 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge our sins, He is faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. There's a young man who is struggling. This year he's given his life to Christ. He believes this, but he feels like, I can't be forgiven. Do you know that's a lie from the evil one? Some of you might carry a lie from the evil one saying, you know what, my sin's too big. Your sin is not too big. God is bigger than your sin. He created you with the word. He created all that we see. He sustains it by the word of his power. And he calls us to go to his word, to go to him. You are invited and the Holy Spirit's calling and he wants you to trust in him. May 2019 be the year you trust in him and pursue transformation. We need to assess the information. We need to watch our communication. For some of you, you need to take that step. This is the year. This is the time. This is the day. Move towards him. For all of us, for all of us, we want to be doing that in greater and greater ways. Rich wants to, I want to do that. I need that. That prideful, that prideful stance that's, that's defensive and doesn't want to hear any, any ways that I'm failing last night. I need to, I need to repent of that. I need to be receptive to the the Holy Spirit transforming me. You see, the image of God was was marred in Genesis chapter 3. So, you know what? We do the the not the very good thing. We do the very bad thing. 
the thing we don't want to do. We do that wrong thing. We, we sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. But the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit, as we've embraced this process of transformation outlined in the Bible, following Jesus, He is changing us and slowly transforming us from one degree of glory to the next, from, from, from the old man to the new man, from our flesh to His Son. We become little Christ. The word Christian means little Christ. The Bible calls us as ambassadors. Remember our citizenships in heaven? You are, you are given an ambassadorial ship. You are ambassadors for Christ. Here in Three Oaks or Galene or whatever city you're in, you can represent God's love and peace and mercy and hope and healing. You are maybe the only Bible someone ever reads. And so let me encourage you to embrace 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. God is doing it. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church, if you believe in Jesus, if this, is, if this is true for you, if you believe the Bible, if you follow Jesus, He is, he is going to do a work in you. He who began a good work in you, He will bring it to completion. He has promised that, and He who promised is faithful. So let's pray. God, we need your help. I need your help. Today I need your help. I'm a parent. I'm a husband. I'm a worker. I have parents and husbands and wives and, and moms and and dads and, and grandma and grandpas and workers here. Lord, we need your help. We want your transformation at work in us. We want to see your glory in Three Oaks. We want real life to be a, a, a shining lighthouse to spread the, the glory and goodness of God. Uh, we all know family members. We know, we know friends, co-workers. We know people who need you who live under guilt and shame and condemnation, and they need your grace and glory. They need to know that they are made in the image of God, as marred as it is, and that they have hope in Jesus. I pray that you help real life be a real light in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.